everyone, and welcome to The Right Turn, your one-stop shop for all things fiction writing. I'm your host, author Jordan M. Griffin, and today we're discussing the oldest writing advice in the book, Show, Don't Tell, and talking about why it's wrong. This podcast will cover craft elements, personal anecdotes, and writing exercises. Please feel free to pause at any time, rewind, or otherwise engage with this lesson in a way that makes the most sense for you. Writing is not a one-size-fits-all art, so I hope you'll be able to shape this talk to meet your own writing needs. To be clear, show, don't tell is a good rule of thumb for very beginning writers. If you're brand new to constructing stories, you do want to focus on showing because it's so unnatural to the way we usually think about telling stories. We often default to the sequence of events. The boy stood, he ran, he fell, he got up. Even for experienced writers, it's easy to err in the too-much-telling camp, so helping writers to focus on showing is by no means a bad thing. However, the rule show-don't-tell isn't true in all situations, and both methods of storytelling have their merits. Let's go backwards a little and define what we mean when we say showing and telling. It can be difficult to identify when something is showing or telling because often in good writing, authors slip back and forth between the two seamlessly. A showing paragraph can have one line of telling in the right place and still be a knock-your-socks-off paragraph, just as a showing line can appear in a long explanation. The best way I've found to tell the difference is by paying attention to the verbs. Active actions usually mean that the author is showing. Words like brush, duck, jump, hide, and so forth. Telling, on the other hand, often uses inactive verbs. Things you can't really do, but that still technically count as the action of the sentence. Some examples include all your to-be verbs, am, are, is, was, were, as well as verbs like feel, seem, know, and so forth. One reason writers revert to telling words is that they have the ability to convey a lot of information really quickly. Three sentences and you can have someone's entire life story. For example, Camilla grew up on the east side of town where nothing good ever happened. She had two sisters and a brother, and it was her middle sister everyone liked best. Even though she was entering the 10th grade, Camilla still felt the summer in the air. See how quickly you can get a sense of the situation? When writers need to set a background without detracting from the pace of their scene, they will often throw in a line like this to bring their audience up to speed. Showing, on the other hand, is usually real-time to the events of the story. It is very difficult to include information that happened at a different time to the story without reverting to a telling structure. For example, if the story takes place in Camilla's 10th grade year, but I still need to tell the audience relevant information about the past, my options for showing dwindle to memory or flashback. Both of those are viable options and can work in many situations, but if my story isn't calling for a memory or a flashback, it might be cleaner to deliver the information in a more concise way. I'll give you two examples, one where I bring you into a showing explanation of the past I want to give the reader, and one where I tell you what I need you to know. Unlike many of the compare and contrasts I usually show you, neither one of these are better than the other. They're simply different tools, and it's important to understand both of them so you can decide when to use each. Ready? Excerpt number one, where we'll focus on showing. Camilla grabbed her school bag and slung it over her shoulder. 
The weight of it settled there like a rock, the sentence of another year of the same kids and the same halls, and the crushing sense that none of it mattered. At least Maddie had said as much, too, last year before the summer had started. Sitting in the big forks of the old tree in the park down her street, she'd leaned her head against the bark and laughed at the futility of it all. When we graduate, we're not going to see anyone again, she'd said. Good riddance, Camilla had countered. She wove the long stems of two leaves together before reaching for a third. I couldn't miss them if I tried. Maddie laughed. I admire your confidence. How many people do you think you'll talk to from high school when we're gone? One, Camilla wanted to say, but she shrugged and continued weaving stems. So that's what flashbacks look like when we focus on showing. The pace slows way down, essentially freezing your main narrative, and we focus on something else. This could be a really effective technique for highlighting a specific scene or moment in your character's life. However, be careful of doing this every single time you want to tell us something about your character. Showing brings a moment into sharp focus, which tells the reader they need to pay attention to this particular beat. If that scene is pivotal for the relationship between Camilla and Maddie, which it may well be, then yes, we're going to want to slow down and focus on it. However, if this information exists only to get us to the next scene, consider helping your readers along by condensing the material into a few powerful telling sentences. Listen to this. Camilla grabbed her school bag and slung it over her shoulder. The weight of it settled there like a rock, the sentence of another year of the same kids and the same hallways and the crushing sense that none of it mattered. At least Maddie felt the same way. She'd said as much sitting in the crook of the tree down the street from her house. It was all pointless. They wouldn't see anyone from high school when they graduated anyway. Maybe not even each other. Okay, let's break down the differences in these two passages. The second one feels much more distant, right? This is something telling sentences do for an author. If you need to distance your reader and narrator, or you need to distance your narrator from something in the story, such as other characters, a traumatic event, or even the character themselves, telling is a fantastic way to accomplish that. This space is called narrative distance, and it refers both to how close the reader feels to the narrator, as well as how close the narrator is to the story itself. In this second passage, the use of the phrase, maybe not even each other, gives the reader emotional significance. With that line, we see that Camilla has considered the possibility that she and Maddie may not remain friends once the school year ends, and that scares her. She's hiding from it. We conveyed the same information in the showing paragraph, but in a way that felt much more intimate with Camilla. The line, how many people do you think you'll talk to when we're gone? one, Camilla wanted to say, but she shrugged and continued weaving stems, also tells the reader that she's terrified of what will happen to her friendship with Maddie. This method, however, actually decreases the narrative distance. We come so close to Camilla that we get her very innermost thoughts, as well as the fact that she decides not to say them. So which one should you use? Well, it depends on the effect you're going for. Do you want to show your readers how alienated and disaffected your character feels? Then maybe use telling sentences to alienate and disaffect your reader so they empathize with your character. Do you want to crack open your character and show your reader their soft and vulnerable heart? Move your reader closer through showing sentences. Another question to ask yourself when deciding when to show and when to tell is how immersive do you need each moment to be? 
You don't want to drench your audience in a second-by-second action every step of the way. A 14-hour car ride to the next state, for example, is something we can skip in and out of depending on the important moments. Similarly, if characters are on an epic quest, odds are they're spending a lot of time doing things not strictly necessary to the story. Walking, eating, sleeping uneventfully, those kinds of things. In these situations, you want the ability to move time forward so your reader can get to the next important moment. That's another place a telling sentence can come in. On the contrary, you may need to dissect a moment to slower proportions than it would actually take in real time. For example, if your character is in an intense battle, it may take several pages to describe a sword fight that in reality lasts less than a minute. This not only allows you to help the reader imagine every tiny detail of the fight, but it also brings out the intensity of the moment. A writer's ability to expand and contract time effectively will go a long way towards keeping a reader invested in your story. If you're expanding on moments that don't carry impact for the narrative, such as having conversations between the characters that move the story nowhere and reveal nothing, the reader will stop trusting that you know what the important parts of your story are. They may even start to skim, looking for the next big moment. Similarly, if you gloss over moments integral to the plot or character arcs, readers will feel cheated and as though the trust they had in the writer has been betrayed. So knowing when to show and when to tell will take you a long way in convincing your readers, agents and industry professionals included, that your story is one to be taken seriously. If you're moving your readers through a transition from one scene to another, or from one emotion to another, you can use a blend of telling and showing sentences. Starting broad, a telling sentence might give us a general idea of what the characters are doing and where they are. We then slow the pace of the story by adding showing sentences, highlighting the important bits as we go along. Let's go back to Camilla and Maddie's first day of 10th grade. I'll read you about a page of prose so you can see the way telling and showing sentences can be used in conjunction to move readers from moment to moment. Listen and see if you can spot which sentences tell and which ones show. The school building hadn't changed. Still the same gray exterior, the windows high and small, and a black iron fence surrounding the property. Prison is the word Camilla liked to use. The whole place looked like a penitentiary. A steady stream of students flowed toward the two open gates, and she joined the one heading towards the entrance closest to the cafeteria. The other kids moved around her like salmon, shoulders and backpacks throwing her from one foot to the next. As their feet hit the blacktop, kids broke off from the group in ones and twos, waving and smiling and calling to each other. They formed pools, still circles full of summer catch-ups and schedule comparisons. Camilla kept her eyes forward, her mouth closed, and kept walking. She reached the picnic table under the student union overhang, the one she and Maddie had always migrated to in the mornings. She shrugged the heavy bag off her shoulders and propped herself up to sit on the table, feet resting on the bench. Five minutes. 10, then 15, and Camilla began to wonder if Maddie had decided to ditch the first day like she'd joked she would. It's all scheduling errors anyway, Maddie had said just a few days ago, her head pillowed on Camilla's thigh. The first week is nothing but kids standing in line at the counselor's office. Camilla had glanced down at Maddie's dark hair that ringed her face like a halo, and the way it made the blue of her eyes stand out in stark relief against it. Let's do it. We can get donuts and milk downtown like we used to. 
but Maddie's face had scrunched up, her nose wrinkling in the middle, where the bridge sloped inwards. She'd tilted her head so she could look at Camilla, had stared at her like she was searching for something she'd lost. I wasn't being serious. How was that? Did you feel the way you were moved through the story, from the action of the scene to Camilla's thoughts about it to the flashback at the end? How did it feel? Jarring and bumpy? Or smooth, where the blend of telling and showing sentences helped you stay in the story? Let's dissect and find out why each piece fits together the way it does. The opening lines go, tell, show, tell, tell. Listen. The school building hadn't changed. Still the same gray exterior, the windows high and small, and a black iron fence surrounding the property. Prison is the word Camilla liked to use. The whole place looked like a penitentiary. What is this accomplishing? This passage serves to create narrative distance between Camilla and the events of the story. We want this dry, emotionless effect because it allows us to feel what Camilla feels. Distant, disaffected, discontented. So why do we put a showing sentence in there? And why is it in the place that it is? Well, its position in the second sentence serves two purposes. The first is that it shows Camilla scrutinizing the school, looking for any differences between its current appearance and the way it looked when she left it. The second reason is it creates the sense that she opens herself just for a moment to the possibility of change before shutting herself down and telling us it looks like a prison. We see the barest glimpse that she may feel more than she's letting on, but the next two telling sentences freeze us out again, letting us feel the denial that Camilla is causing herself. The next part is all show. A steady stream of students flowed toward the two open gates. She joined the one heading towards the entrance closest to the cafeteria. The other kids moved around her like salmon, shoulders and backpacks throwing her from one foot to the next. As their feet hit the blacktop, Kids broke off from group in ones and twos, waving and smiling and calling to each other. They formed pools, still circles full of summer catch-ups and schedule comparisons. Camilla kept her eyes forward, her mouth closed, and kept walking. Okay, what's the effect of this paragraph? The stream of showing sentences brings the reader into the moment and helps them experience the energy of the scene. All those kids bumping into each other. Camilla's personal space shrinking to nothing, her body tossed around by the careless stream of students. The small narrative distance also shows us that Camilla is taking in all of the events of the story. There is no commentary here, and so, like her, the reader has nothing to do but see and experience. Then, at the very end, we get a hint of tell. It's not actually a telling sentence, since Camilla isn't having any thoughts or talking to the reader, but there is more emotion in the last line than anywhere before it. There's a denial there, and this alludes to the idea that we may get more information on this front shortly. In other words, it's a good transition sentence to bring us more into a telling arena, which is exactly where we go. She reached the picnic table under the student union overhang, the one she and Maddie had always migrated to in the mornings. She shrugged the heavy bag off her shoulders and propped herself up to sit on the table, feet resting on the bench. Five minutes. 10, then 15, and Camilla began to wonder if Maddie had decided to ditch the first day, like she'd joked she would. Showing, showing, and then right at the end, the section where it says 5 minutes, 10, 15, hits the reader hard. It's such a stark difference from the multiple paragraphs of showing we had before, so it stands out. This is a great way to mix showing and telling sentences. 
Yes, you want to be showing most of the time, but if you use your timing right, you can really make an impact with one or two telling sentences. So if telling sentences don't have to be a bad thing, how do we use them effectively? All writers need to talk to the reader at one point or another. Maybe they need the reader to acquire information the other characters don't have yet, or maybe they need to quickly convey movement through time. Whatever the reason you're reaching for a telling sentence, you want to make sure you're using it in the most effective way possible. So a couple ground rules for telling sentences before we continue into how to make them smooth and impactful. Number one, between showing and telling, you should have more showing sentences. If you're running into the problem of having more exposition than scene, mark the places where you're retreating back to talking to the reader and see if there is a way to get your information across that is more engaging for your readers. Number two, telling sentences should still contain strong writing. Choose your words carefully, especially your verbs. Try to find a way to say what you want to say without your to be verbs. If there isn't, that's fine, but at least give it a go. And number three, telling sentences should still increase tension in a narrative. If we're getting a piece of information, it should make us concerned for that character or make us realize the character is rushing headlong towards disaster. All right, we've set our stage. We know the sentences which impart information to the reader are important, but how do we make them read like a smooth, polished piece of prose rather than a lumpy attempt at getting information in the hands of our readers. If you only have a little information that needs to go to your reader, think one or two sentences, you can slip them into a block of showing sentences like the passage I read earlier. Pay attention to the cadence to be sure you're not artificially slowing down a piece and use them in places where you'll achieve the most effect from a telling sentence, namely where sudden narrative distance will do the story good and not push the reader out of the world of the story. If you have a lot of information you need to tell your readers, however, consider dialogue. When done well, dialogue can convey information in a way that feels completely natural and can even up the stakes of the story. When dialogue falls flat is when writers either try to force characters to say too much or try to make them say something that doesn't lead the story anywhere. How many of us have read dialogue that sounds like this? What classes did you get this term? Camilla asked. Maddie glanced down at her binder. Algebra 2, U.S. History with Porter, English right after lunch, chem, and TA. What about you? Camilla didn't need to look at the piece of paper she'd already memorized. English, U.S., Geometry, Chem, and Community Service. Oh, cool. Yeah, I heard Porter can be rough, though. Same. Are you going to have enough time with tennis and all? I think so. I managed last year. I'm sure I'll be able to get through it. How bored are you? I was bored writing it. See how the information comes across dry and limp? There is no tension, nothing for the readers to grab onto. Remember that dialogue should, like every sentence, either move the plot forward or reveal character. Even if you're telling the reader information they need to know, you want to try to do it in a way that propels your story deeper and deeper into trouble. Consider this, where I use the dialogue to do just that. What classes did you get this term? Camilla asked. Maddie glanced down at her binder. Algebra 2, U.S. History. With who? Camilla asked. I hear Porter is a killer. Yeah, I heard that too. I have her both semesters. What are you going to do about tennis? 
Maddie shrugged. I managed last year. I'm sure I'll figure it out. She didn't elaborate. The sounds of other conversations, other laughs and stories drifted between them. I could always help you out, Camilla offered to fill the space. Maddie shrugged but didn't comment one way or another. What about English? Maddie looked down again. Something passed over her face, an expression that almost looked like a prayer, and Camilla didn't blame her. If they didn't get classes together, she didn't know what she would do either. Right after lunch with Aguada, you? No, mine's in the morning. Maddie's expression hit something between a grimace and a smile. Like she tried for happy and got stuck halfway there. See how we're getting the same information, but in a way that is much more dramatic? Not only is the second version much closer to the way two teenagers who are slowly drifting apart would actually talk, but it also helps the reader feel Camilla's increasing desperation as she realizes she and Maddie will be separated for most of the day. Camilla is jumpy. She cuts Maddie off and asks questions that don't make much sense because she's trying to get a specific answer. And yet we end up with much of the same information as that really dry paragraph I read you earlier. This is how to effectively use dialogue to get information across to your reader. Notice almost everything in quotation marks is a telling sentence. But it doesn't feel that way because of the nature of this reveal after reveal structure that dialogue sets up. I don't need to tell the reader everything all at once. Instead, I meter it out and force the reader to feel the same anxiety Camilla feels as she wonders if she's losing her best friend. If you're having trouble telling when to show and when to tell, try this exercise. Take a scene from your story. It doesn't have to be a big scene or an important one, just one that you can see really well in your mind. Now write the scene in its entirety using only showing sentences. No telling sentences, no words such as am, are, is, was, were, felt, remembered, wanted, thought, or anything like those. Once you're done, read it over. Where does it start to drag? Where is it missing a punch to really hit the readers in the feels? Mark those points with a dot or a star or anything to let you know where they are. Now, put that scene aside so you can't see it. Write the same scene using all telling sentences. No sensory details, no action verbs, just straight information. When you're done, read it over. How does it sound now? Mark the places where it starts to sound flat and emotionless. Then take a look at your two pieces. Where do they overlap? What combination of showing and telling sentences can you place so that you pick up the dragging areas of your showing and you deepen the flat parts of your telling with a scene? If you feel this exercise has particularly worked for you, please feel free to send in your work to writeturn at gmail.com. That's W-R-I-T-3, the number three, T-U-R-N at gmail.com. Or you can click on the link in the description of the episode. I'd be happy to read some of your amazing work and illustrate what beautiful writers you all are. I hope this talk was helpful to you. And remember, you're always welcome to go back, give it another listen, pause, rewind, and otherwise engage with this talk in a way that makes the most sense for you and your work at the moment. If you have any questions, ideas for topics, or you want to give us a funny anecdote, click on the link in the description of the episode. I hope you all have a lovely day. And if it's not a good one, I hope that the next one is better. See you all next time. Thank you.